0: Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. This week we're bringing to you questions and stories that you guys have sent in to us, so please pour yourself a cup of tea and join us around the virtual table. Denise, would you like to start us off?
1: I'd love to. Hello ladies, your podcast brings me so much comfort. Thank you so much for putting it out every week, even during COVID. I'm having trouble managing my gift. I've developed my empathy and intuition to the point where I can see right through people to their true intentions. For years, I've denied this and judged myself for judging others. However, over time, I've been able to see that I'm rarely wrong. I'm tired of giving people the benefit of the doubt only to regret it later. This has led to me living a fairly isolated life. I feel most people I meet are not conscious or working out or are working out of their unconscious so they aren't even aware of their own intentions. How do you ladies manage this? Well, first and foremost, thank you for your kind words. And again, we feel like we're a community and us putting out the show every week is part of us staying connected as a whole. The uh, energy right now is very, very much about if it isn't real or true or genuine, there's no room for it. So I I think this person is, is spot on. With what they're feeling and also the isolation not only from covid but from trying to figure out how do i navigate honoring myself not to the detriment of someone else's truth but also not being willing to be bombarded energetically all the time anymore i agree a hundred percent because if you knew how many times i say to myself denise don't be judgy pie pants just let people be who they are. And and it's a work in progress, I think, for all of us. But just I would my suggestion is be gentle with yourself. Keep going within and saying, you know, am I doing this for highest and best? Am I being kind? Are my intentions true? What do you think, Samantha?
0: I think that's great advice. And I would also ask myself, do I need a hundred pennies or four quarters? You know, the old expression, mm-hmm. you want a couple of friends or a hundred acquaintances. How many friends do you need? If someone is bringing your energy down, if someone is disappointing you, you don't need that in your life. I would rather have no friends than friends that make me feel that way. Wouldn't you? True. True. So and I think I- this time of COVID is a time when our cozy, comfy walls and blankets that we've adorned ourselves with through the years are being shed and we're exposed. And Not only are we exposed, but we're seeing other people exposed. And so, yes, we have to be gentle with that energy because people aren't at their best right now. You know, everyone's high stress, high fear, high anxiety. And so we're seeing kind of the best and the worst of people. So I would say, you know, cut yourself some slack, cut the friends in your life some slack. But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because some people, you can cut them all the slack you need and they're still a sword, you know?
1: Right. And, and I think it's important. This isn't about being an empath or sensitive. It's being a human being. That it's not just, oh, these people are trying to, to push my buttons or whatever. It, it's different. This is that, uh, don't you feel like we're at this big turning point with just seeing people for exactly what this person said, seeing people for who they really are. And a lot of times I'll, I'll literally do this. I'll say, you know what? Namaste. Thank you so much for being in my life, but I'm going to take a step back now. And I'll say that to myself. I don't say that to other people, but I, I think that's an important thing right now in, in this shift is, am I honoring myself as well as the other people that I'm dealing with?
0: Yes. And to look at people and think, you know, are they a reflection of what I need in my life right now?
1: Exactly.
0: I've been thinking for a while of doing a show called Are You a Consonant or Are You a Vowel? <laughs> I don't know if people would enjoy that show because I have a weird, you know, English mind, but I always think of people are some people are consonants. They're stubborn, they're rigid, they're black and white and they're thinking, and others are vowels and they go with the flow and they work in teamwork and they love to combine with other letters, and they just roll with stuff. I want vowels in my life, not consonants.
1: Okay. So to have that kind of a relationship with vowels and consonants, you're definitely a writer, and you're definitely a wordy person, because I don't think I've ever thought
0: about letters that way. (laughs) Well, think about it. Like the letter Q. The letter Q is a pain in the ass, because the letter Q (laughs) only gets along with the letter U. True. Everyone else, the letter Q is like, screw you. I don't want to be around you. But you take the letter Y, sometimes it's a consonant, Sometimes it's yeah. a vowel. It's super cool. It will go with anything. See, I think we should all strive to be a Y. I do too. Why not? <laughs> all right. I'll put my geek glasses down and move on. Our next question says hello let me introduce myself my name is brian and i'm from scranton pennsylvania i'm a music theater teacher musician and poet i recently started this spiritual transformation and i'm loving every second of it although it is very scary i found your podcast while trying to find my way after realizing i'm an empath i binge listen to get as much information as i can i wanted to reach out to you because you have said that you are a catholic I grew up a lukewarm Catholic and three years ago decided to go full on into Catholicism, believing every doctrine and teaching. Ooh, that's hard. Even if they didn't sit right with my gut. With this new transformation I'm going through, I'm realizing that I am embracing things I have been taught all my life were evil and displeased God. I know they aren't evil. I feel it in my gut, but I'm still scared on this journey. I also just checked out Doreen Virtue's website because I heard of her on one of your Psychic Teachers' podcasts and was shocked to find out she is now speaking out against New Age spirituality. Boy, is she ever. I was wondering if you have any advice or have had a similar experience when you went through your spiritual awakening. How are you able to get over the hurdle of doubt due to the doctrines and teachings that go against many of the things we now embrace? I'm loving my new spirituality, but I'm still in need of some guidance. Thank you for your time, and I hope to hear from you. Okay, so I just want to say, I hear you. I've been here. I'm still here. I think in many ways, all of us are still in this juxtaposition of trying to figure out you know, who we are and what we believe in. The um, change enduring Virtue, that was like a gut punch for me in many ways, because she was so inspirational to me in the beginning of my spiritual awakening, and I think it's so important for us to honor everyone's belief systems wherever they are, you know, unless your belief system is, you know, I hate everyone, but whatever religion people choose, whatever dogma they they follow, I think it's important for us to honor them on their path. And so I tried to honor her choices, but when that path is all about pointing fingers and not embracing everyone, that's hard. That's a really hard one. Now in terms of Catholicism, I just did an interview with a great podcast called Sense of Soul, and I talked about this a lot. So I reposted that interview on Psychic Teachers. It's airing this week. So I recommend you listen to that because I tell a lot of stories in that show about how I reconcile my Catholicism with my woo-woo world. And I think what's important is to take away the human stuff from what you believe And if you study the history of religions, it becomes pretty easy to remove the human elements. And if you just focus on what is the message of what I believe, what is the true message, not how it was interpreted through the years, not how it was bent and amended and changed to fit different racial views, different political wars, but what is the ultimate message And it's what you'll find is a good message of love one another, of treat everyone like you want to be treated, of love yourself, of reach and strive for God, whatever God is to you. And I think if you do that with any religion, whether it's Catholicism or Judaism or any religion, you'll find that the message is the same. It's the golden rule. It's inherent in every religion I've studied. And so I don't know that any of us can be a perfect anything, You know, like to be a perfect Catholic or embrace all the dogma of a religion, maybe you'd have to like clone yourself as Thomas Merton and join a monastery. Although even he believed very strongly in Buddhism and loved the Eastern practices. So no one is perfect in their beliefs. That's why I call myself a cafeteria Catholic. If I were to go in front of a board of cardinals of the Vatican, would they excommunicate me? Probably. However, I still enjoy sitting in the pew of that church and knowing that the comfort of the mass that is washed over me every week for years is always there available to me. And that is one way I gain sustenance. There are many other ways I gain sustenance in my spiritual life. But if it works for you, I say embrace it and to hell with the naysayers and the judgy pants would you call it denise judgy pie pants
1: yeah judgy pie pants
0: yeah. i love that <laughs> and and just do what works for you as, you as long as you're coming from a place of light like that priest told me when i went to confession about my mediumship and in intuition studies he said as long as you keep god at the center of all you do you are committing no sin and i think that's very very true
1: I agree. That was very, very well stated, everything that you brought up. And I mean, I was also brought up Catholic and I've shared this before, wore a crucifix well into my thirties, went to mass, did all those things. And my problem, not my problem, but my, this is the, all the things that we talk about and that we do and, and what we share. It's really my own personal here, it's a reflection of who I really am. This is my core self that I believe this. I I live this. And when Doreen Virtue all of a sudden said, that's all not true. That's not real. That's evil. That's this or that. I thought, were you never true to who you really are? And I think during these times, whether you're in a, a traditional Religious setting, whether you're out in nature, having that connection with divine, it's very, very much about, am I living my truth? Am I connected to all that is? You, you can put any, any label, any name, any, whatever you want to do to call it, and that's beautiful because that's your belief. And I think the part of this transition we're all in is respecting other people's beliefs, other people's paths. And saying that works for them, it doesn't necessarily work for me. I agree that the the ritualism, the the um, this is a weird way weird way to put it, but like the memories of the church, growing up in the church, and if you go in, it, and I have to be honest, it really was difficult for me when they changed the mass. I did not like that because it was breaking that tradition. So. I think people being true to who they are and being open and respecting one another and what their beliefs are I I really think that's so so very vital right now.
0: Yeah. I always think about you know when it's my turn to go through those pearly gates although I don't believe that's what happens but you know what I mean. Whenever it's my turn and I get to go in front of you know whoever God is is he really going to be like or is she really going to be like you know, I had you baptized a Catholic and the Catholics are against A, B, C, D, all the way to Z. And you didn't really uphold that. So what do you think I should do with you? Like, is he really going to say that? I don't think so. It's the same argument I've had with priests and nuns my whole life. When Gandhi got to heaven, do you think Jesus really was like, yeah, thanks for bringing like a whole revolution of peaceful resistance and uniting India or trying to at least. But you know, you weren't baptized Christian, so down you go.
1: Well, see, that's never made any sense to me. No. Because you're in a, a specific club, you get in and nobody else does. It just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Well, what is, remember the American Express logo, membership has its privileges. hmm In order to be a member of something, the privilege comes at the price of excluding others. Ooh. And I don't believe that any creator is about exclusion. The creator Mm -hmm. is a creator, which means inclusive and ongoing. Mm -hmm. And so again, I recommend you take out the human elements of your faith. But we as humans, we need faith. We are always searching for it. Look at the earliest cave drawings. They were drawing religious symbols that were religious to them at the time. We need a faith. It's how we feel connected to source. And so I wouldn't say, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater but do choose aspects that work for you and, and go with it. And, you know, you're always going to find someone to tell you you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. All right. I'll get off the soapbox. No,
1: no, no. It's a beautiful message. Um, Our next one says, I'd love to get your input on an experience I had a few years ago on the eve of my 35th birthday. I was lying in bed, but not asleep. And I heard two women speaking, but I didn't recognize the voices. It sounded almost like I was in a cafe as I could hear the clinking of plates and glasses. They were speaking about a woman who died. One said to the other, it's so sad. She was only 35. The other woman responded with, so young and so pretty. Then I heard a gunshot so loud and real that I jumped up. I looked around and my husband and cats were in the bed fast asleep. The window was closed, the lights were out. I sat for a few minutes and thought, this must be about me and a possible premonition of my death. Six months later, I received the horrific news that my beautiful friend had taken her life with a gun. She was 35 years old. I didn't make the connection at first, but when I did, it frightened me. Was this a premonition? Who were these women I heard speaking? Can I connect with them again? Am I not supposed to? I'd love your input as I value your insight and opinion so much. Thank you in advance, Karen. I always, always, when someone chooses to leave, I immediately think the level of pain they had to be in to make that choice. And that's um, having been a medium for a long time and, and connected with a lot of people in spirit who have made that choice. I've never once had someone come through that wasn't sharing a level of pain and anguish that was in their mind insurmountable at the time. Uh, so again, empathy and compassion to, to all anyone who has been connected with someone who has made that choice. Um, but do I think it was a premonition? Yes. Uh, it could be, you know, I, I this is weird because dreams or, or, uh, hearing things, but she wasn't asleep, so it wasn't a dream. So she was in that lull space where we're really able to connect with, uh, that's, that's that magic place of you're kind of half in, half out. It's like going to, to uh, a semi-hypnotic s- state or a trance state. You're still cognitively aware and conscious, but you've lowered that to be more receptive to messages coming through. It would be interesting to know uh, how intuitive, well, obviously she's very intuitive to be getting this, this level of connection. And I would say, yes, you could connect with them again because, or connect with spirit or connect with guides or connect with your own higher knowing. And that's a personal choice if you're supposed to or not. But I think it's important that just because we have a premonition not to hold on to, was I supposed to do something with that? Was it just, it could be your your intuition and your uh, consciousness connecting with divine and saying, this is a path you could choose to take if you'd like to.
0: Well, I think big, powerful events, I think that they tend to bleed through the dimensions. Do you know what I mean? Like when they yes. have that big and emotional impact And when I first read her email, my first thought was that was her higher self talking to her guide. Mm -hmm. It was just the first thought that popped into my head. And it reminded me several years ago, my sister and I were visiting our older sister for the holidays. And so we had to share a room and we're laying in bed. It was the first time we've shared a room since we were little kids. And we're just sitting there talking. And finally we fell asleep and we heard two women talking. And Courtney turned to me and she was like, do you think Tara's still up? And I'm like, I don't know. She went to bed before us. And so it was just a murmuring, like just, you know, like if you're laying in bed and you hear people talking downstairs. And so we got out of bed, we walked through the house, no one was up. We went back into bed. We still heard the murmuring. So we get out of bed and we went outside. We went into the front yard, the backyard, there was nobody around. And I really thought that was like our higher selves having a chat. And so when I read her email, I had that memory of that event with my sister. And I think, that, I think that our deaths are not necessarily planned, but I think they're known about on the higher levels about six months before we know about them on this dimension. And I think because this listener is so intuitive and empathic and connected to her friend, she was tapping into that. And I think that what happens is our higher self works to subconsciously prepare us for great and awful events like this. And I think those of us who are tuned in get little premonitions or snippets of it more so than other people. But I think that does not make us special. I think that just means we all can do that if we choose to tap into it. Right. Okay, our next question says, this morning I was thrilled to look down at my phone app and see that there was a brand new Enlightened Empath podcast to travel with me on a drive to my mother's place. Both of your voices give me such a feeling of comfort and optimism as well as a raised vibration. Well, thank you for that. But this one, oh my God, this one, perfect timing. I have been intensely annoyed with a friend who is rarely honest about her feelings and has this annoying habit of texting me out of the blue, with a chirpy invitation to have dinner. I I always know she is really dealing with an abusive partner, but when I ask how things are going, she replies, everything's great, and inevitably goes on to paint a rosy picture that keeps me at arm's distance. She eventually will text me some cryptic information about something he said or did that is utterly hurtful, and when I try to support her, she immediately responds with something along the lines of, we worked it out, guess I was just being sensitive followed by a heart emoji, kissy face, smile. This happens time and time again, and I'm at the point where I know I must get real with her. I was planning to get together with her this weekend for a come to Jesus meeting to share my concerns over her seeming lack of honesty with herself and more importantly, her painful partnership. I've been struggling with how to talk to her without alienating her, and your podcast on toxic positivity hit every nail on the head. Now I am ready for our get real talk. Oh, and then the bonus. Toward the end of the recording, you were both sharing such moving and important points about meaning and happiness that my thoughts drifted to my soon-to-be adult daughter who's applying to colleges. And this gave me inspiration for an off-to-college letter. Now I have the words I need to have a meaningful conversation with my friend and the inspiration I need to send my daughter off with the wisdom you both impart. Thank you for your humble and tremendous work. You touch so many people. Donna, single mom, budding empath and Child development Professor. I love that. Well, thank you, Donna. I love this um this story. I totally resonate with it. I think we all have had those friends who it's almost like a peep show. And I know that's really not the best metaphor, but that's all I can think of. Like someone, you know, opens up their coat and shows us their heart for a second and then slams it back shut because they're too scared. And I think friends like this need the Donnas of the world. And I think that they peep and show little glimpses of who they really are to people like Donna, because they know, they know, they know that their partner is hurtful. They know that they're in a bad relationship, but they are not ready to confront it. They are much more comfortable hugging their illusions than their reality. And so you're right, it needs to be a conversation and as you said it needs to be a gentle conversation. But I think you also need to tiptoe carefully because you know if someone isn't ready to face a reality, they will project all that awfulness onto you. And so you have to be prepared if you if you do this at the wrong time or in the wrong way. I think you have to be prepared to lose this friend. And you have to ask yourself, what's, what's worth it to me? you know? Do I want to keep helping her put a Band-Aid on this? Or do I want to rip off this Band-Aid and expose it and help her to heal? That choice is up to you. But I know in my own life when I've, you know, I'm kind of a tell it like it is person. And so if someone comes to me with issues like this again and again and again, and they don't respond to my truth that I'm trying to hold a mirror up and show them, you know, sometimes those friends will walk away. And, you know, that's hard. But what's more hard for me, I can't live with falsity. I cannot live around inauthentic people. I just, I really can't abide it. And so I think you're doing the right thing for her. I just think you need to be cautious and careful about how you proceed with sharing this with her. And it needs to be I mean, you are a child development professor, so I'm sure these are all wasted words because I'm sure you know how to do this appropriately and gently. But don't you think, Denise, that sometimes people really love their illusions more than their truth?
1: Yes. And I'm going to take a different stance on this just for a second. What really jumped out on me is that she, the, this person is really dealing with an abusive partner. And if this person is reaching out with a cryptic information that's a that's a a cry for help that is we don't know if we don't know the level of abuse we don't know the level of isolation is the cryptic note because she doesn't have personal control over her phone or her email or she's being you know because I I think it's important to remember and I love 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 that this woman is saying that she's ready for the get real talk and being gentle, because what I'm picking up on and, and having, you know, talked with a lot of people who have bet, tried to get out of abusive situations, there's a fragility of, and I think this friend is hiding it, but it's also um, it's a cry for help very, very much. So, so knowing that because at that living in that situation, wears people down. And the fact it's actually a beautiful tribute to their friendship that she is reaching out and feeling safe enough to do that. And my my advice may be, be patient, be kind, let her know that you're there for her. And she'll find that strength to be able to make the changes in her life.
0: Yeah, really well said. He reminds me of a line from a Shirley Jackson story. Where she writes, he was a cold wind to the bone. Ooh. That's how that partner reminds me. I don't know. That's just the feeling I get. And I just know, I remember when I was in graduate school, I had a really good friend and she was very, very much in love with this man. And I went out with some friends one night and I saw him with another woman making out. Ooh. And I was like, what do I do? Do I tell her? And and I remember thinking, okay, Samantha, if this happened to you and someone saw your boyfriend making out with another girl, wouldn't you want to know? And I was like, hell to the yes, I would want to know. So I told the friend and I lost the friend. Right. And she recently connected with me on Facebook and they're married. Oh. Yeah. So I've learned that maybe not pulling off the band-aid is the right thing, I think your approach is probably better where you just say, look, I've seen that there are some issues here and, you know, maybe you're not willing, ready or able to deal with them now, but here are some resources and just know I am here to support you in whatever way I can. Right. But I
1: also love, you know, setting those boundaries of I'm here for you, but I'm not a dumping ground. I can't just listen to, if you're not... It, uh, because what my, the energy behind this sounds like Donna really wants to empower her friend. Yes, she wants to empower her to stand up and say, "You don't need to do this. You you have other options." And it there's it's it's eggshells on the floor with this kind of a situation. It's it's never easy.
0: No, it never is. But I think I think she's a good person to approach Ooh. this.
1: It's, and it's it's just you can tell you can feel the compassion behind the note.
0: And if mm-hmm. I could just add a lighthearted PS to this, Denise, I have files of notes for my going off to college letter for Olivia. <laughs> did I ever write it? No, no, I did not. And it really bothers me. I, need, I, I know I still can, but the whole going off to college thing was so ruined for us by this darn COVID because first it was August, then it was September, then it was, no, you're staying home. But yeah, I think those going off to college letters are important. And I'm honored that we were a part of that inspiration for her.
1: It's also a great way to help you process that huge, huge transition and write a passage in your
0: own life. Yes. Yes, true. All right. Okay.
1: Our next one. Hi, ladies. I was listening to an old Community Connections episode, and I'm so happy you shared a listener's email about how they were growing in their spirituality, but their partner had no interest. I'm going through this. Exact same thing with my husband. To say we are deeply in love is a severe understatement. I've never doubted he's my forever person. When we first got together, and up until about a year ago, when I started my spiritual journey, we were both atheists who believed we all just cease to exist after death. We just have this life, and in the end, lights out, nothing after that. While my husband still believes this, I just can't anymore. When it comes to talking about spirituality, life after death, or anything related to these topics, we just can't see eye to eye. I want so badly to talk to him about these things, but when I do, it's one of the few things, few times we fight. He believes it's all ridiculous. He'll say that since meeting me, he wishes so badly that we did have souls that could be together forever, but he just can't believe it. When my husband would belittle my beliefs, I said to him something along the lines of, You don't have to be on this path with me and you don't have to agree with me, but I need you to respect me and my decision to do this. I need to feel that even though I'm going this way and you don't understand it and think it's stupid. You still love me and respect my intelligence. It made a huge difference. You ladies definitely nailed it when you said anger comes from fear. When it came down to it, he was afraid. He was afraid I was gonna change and grow away from him. He was afraid I was going to be way over here, and he would be way over there on the opposite side of the spectrum. Honestly, I feared the same thing. But now I think one day we will argue beautifully about this stuff one day. I agree with Samantha. I think it's a good thing when you and your partner do not agree on everything. I found that when my husband challenges me on something, it makes me research it more and either makes my beliefs strong, or I find that this belief doesn't actually resonate with me he helps me progress. I also find he grounds me so I'm not always up in the clouds thinking about woo-woo stuff all the time. you were exactly right. I think we're stronger because we don't think alike. I would hate to be married to myself. I think you ladies answered this question beautifully and I agree 100% on everything you said. I felt validated that I'd come to all the same conclusions because true to form for myself, I was questioning If I was just in la-la land and loved my husband too much to see that not believing the same things would be a problem, but it's not a problem. It's been a year since I started this journey. And even though he doesn't understand, we're just as happy as ever. I love him. He loves me. And who the hell cares if we don't agree on everything? Sorry for the long email. I just felt the point out the importance of you answering this listener's questions the way you did and how grateful I am for it. Love you ladies and all you do. See, this is perfect. This is the Venn diagram of keeping your individuality and autonomy, but having such a shared middle. And this this woman is being true to herself, not out of disrespect or not out of my way is the right way and yours isn't. I love, love, love this email and what she said. So thank you to the person who shared this.
0: I love this too. And it shows that you can be different and still be bonded and unified. And, you know, that's a hard one when you're so spiritual and open and you're married to an atheist, but this is a great example of how it can work. And it reminds me of that beautiful marriage poem by Kaylee Cabron uh, from The Prophet, you know, where he says, let there be space in your togetherness. Mm -hmm. She's exemplifying that beautifully. Okay, our next one says, Dear Samantha and Denise, I have experienced what I later learned was a vivid dream. I saw myself lying down on my bed with the book I was reading on my chest, The Alchemist. Ooh, I love that book. Then I turned around and saw my grandmother calling me and telling me to follow her to the hallway, which I did. But then I thought, wait, I need to go back to where I was. I can't go with you. And I saw myself again lying down on the bed. I forced myself to wake up. I was trying so hard until I finally did and found myself in the same position I saw myself before. It was so real, I haven't forgotten any details of this dream 20 years later. Then last year, I had this dream. I was in bed in my house, and this man, dressed like Merlin or a Franciscan priest, tells me to come with him. So I wake up and follow him downstairs, and we both stand in front of a big bay window that I have in my kitchen. We see a lot of people coming towards my house walking slowly. I know they are all dead, but I feel they want something. I felt protected with him. I wasn't scared at all. He then started saying, don't worry, she will help you all, but she's not ready yet. At that moment, I felt I had to go through a lot of training and get ready so that I could help them. I've had a lot of other strange dreams. I've heard voices of kids calling in the early hours of the morning. I thought it was my own children calling me from their room, but it turned out that it was not them. I've had other dreams about people or places that later came true. It is taking me almost a year to write this message to you. You've given me a lot of light and knowledge that has helped me connect the dots of all that may be happening, but I'm still not sure. Blessings to you and your family. Well, thank you for this email. I find it fascinating. I wonder if Merlin is almost like an archetype who appears to many of us, because I had very, very similar dream experiences when I was 16, almost 17 I woke up in the middle of the night. I had fallen asleep with an amethyst uh, necklace, someone my mother had given me. I didn't know it was an amethyst. I didn't know anything about crystals, but I had it around my neck. She bought it for me because it was shaped like a paintbrush. And at the time, I was going to be an artist. So anyway, I fell asleep with this amethyst necklace. And I woke up and I saw what looked like she's describing either a Merlin or a Franciscan priest. He was wearing the brown robe and had the long beard and all of that. And he just stared at me and I sat up in bed and I said, what do you want? What do you want from me? And he didn't say anything. And I got out of bed. He wouldn't leave. Like I wasn't sleeping. It wasn't a dream. And I remember taking off the necklace. I didn't, again, I didn't know anything about crystals and wouldn't for about 12 more years, but I just knew somehow it was connected. And then I just got to my knees and I prayed to God and I said, please take this stuff away. I don't like it. And... You know, I didn't see a full body apparition for years after that. So God does answer prayers, even even some that we want to take back. But anyway, years later, I had several dreams. They started when I was pregnant with my youngest, Chloe, that an older Merlin looking man would greet me. And I was, I, the first one I had, I was pregnant as I was in real life and I was standing outside a cathedral and he said, welcome to Dirk Cathedral. And I walked inside and there were all these people waiting for me. And he walked me up to the front of the altar and I stood and people got in line and they waited for me to put my hands on them and offer healing. And I remember I woke up and I was like, I'm not a healer. And what, where? And I Googled Dirk Cathedral. There's no Dirk Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Um, It's the name of a sword, I think, in Scotland or something. I don't know. I could never find a dirt cathedral. I've had so many other dreams where I'm in Ireland, England, Scotland. The most recent one, I was in Portugal, and it's always this Merlin type man, and he's leading me to lay hands on people. I don't know. Wow. So I definitely think that she's doing something. I you know, you all know I call this night work, where I believe that our soul travels while we sleep and we offer hope healing counseling to living and deceased people who need our light and so i think what's happening to her is very 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 real and i would recommend that she start to believe herself and believe these dreams and honor her light and at least for me what i had to and still have to get over is this mantra of i'm not worthy You know, like I would wake up from these dreams and I would be like, what the hell are people waiting in line for for me? You know, like, who am I? And it's so hard because I don't ever want to get to that point where I'm like, well, I am an amazing person with healing abilities. I I don't want to go that route either. You know, but you can't, you also can't go down the path I've gone down of, I'm nothing. I have nothing to offer. Like, don't, You know, ignore me, universe. I don't, don't keep, keep going. Don't stop here. So I think it's a careful balance where you have to honor yourself and honor the light within you and see it not as you being special, but more as you being open to the light that flows through all of us and you being a vessel to pass on that light to others. And you can do that through just loving yourself but also through meditation and centering your energy and learning to lift and raise your vibrations
1: that's beautifully stated very much so and i just the fact that she said the dream it was still vivid 20 years later that's a visitation that's not just a dream dream because you and i have both talked about this a lot we've mentioned it in other shows of those dreams we can remember with such clarity years and years and years later, like we just had them. That's different than just a, a run-of-the-mill dream. It also feels like since so much of this came through with her, her dream life, that could be her, her uh, entry into accepting her intuition. Because a lot of times what I've found is people will dream things, they'll have premonitions, they'll have these connections, because it's easier to accept that that's a part of who they really are. And I think you you stated that beautifully was saying, you know, this isn't really about you. It's about you're the messenger. And can you help shine your light with, with what you're bringing through?
0: Yes, well said. Remember that dream I had where that grandfather type energy was like a cowboy. He said his name was Red. And he came to my bed and woke me up and said, come into the kitchen. And there were all these people there. And he said, they just want you to hold their hand and witness their last moments on earth. And so that's all I did in that dream. There were so many people in my kitchen and I held each of their hands and I witnessed their last moments on earth. And after I witnessed it with them, they said, thank you. And then I move on to the next person. And when it was done, Red walked me back to my bedroom and tucked me in and and he said, that wasn't so scary now, was it? And I said, (laughs) not at all. And he said, we've been trying to come to you for years. And he was kind of proud. He said, and I came up with the idea of coming to you in a dream. It's not so scary in a dream, is it? And I said, no, I think I just shook my head. I was kind of dumbfounded. And then he pulled the covers under my chin and that was it. Right. Well, you had
1: shared that before that you had dreams of going to school and learning this stuff and being with other people. And so that was a real gateway for you to enter into this world.
0: Yeah. And I think it is for many people because of what you just said, it's not as scary in a dream. Right. So I hope that she honors this beautiful light within her because she's got good work to do. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Our next one. Hello, my name is Christopher. I started listening to your show a few months ago and have come to love your podcast. I always knew I was very different and struggled growing up and feeling connected to my family. I knew my parents loved me, but couldn't connect with me because I was so sensitive to everything. I'm a bit of a loner. And my emotions are so intense that I always felt people looked at me as too different. Naturally, people love to be around me and I attract so many different personalities that I've never had like-minded people at the same time. Recently, I've noticed that my emotions are so intense that I've never felt so in tune and empathic before in life. Basically, to the point that I don't feel scared, but I speak or think something and it manifests into reality or what is reality, but I can't control it. I always make either a stupid decision or I make the wrong turn and end, back, end up back at the starting point. I feel it in my grasp and I'm trying to let go of what I think is my old self that clearly is self-sabotaging. I seek clarity and am always looking for the next move. I've overcome huge setbacks, but my heart never changed. I was held at gunpoint from a man I didn't know. When that moment happened, I instantly froze and had an out-of-body experience, and something took over me and yielded me to walk away from the man. He followed me out of the lobby of the hotel and eventually turned away and left me alone. After I was out of danger, I regained control of my body and ran into traffic from panic of what had just happened. I knew right there I was destined for a bigger purpose. I'm constantly seeing 1111 everywhere and right before it happens, I know to look for it. I love your podcast and would forever be full of gratitude for any insight you could offer me for I feel lost at times and I try to turn off the feelings, but they're clearly not going away, but becoming stronger. Thanks for letting me share a small chapter of my beautiful life. Sincerely, Christopher. Keep inspiring the world. You truly are gifted. Well, thank you, Christopher. And it sounds like you're, You've you've found your like-minded people um, with our community here on on the show. And it's interesting that the catalyst was that uh, I, over and over and over, and Samantha and I have talked about this, of something so extreme happening in our lives that it's almost uh, a trigger to say, ooh, there's my wake-up call. I think the fact that you're... Embracing your intuition, your empathy, your compassion, your your truth is so vital for what's happening in this shift that we're all experiencing right now. If our ultimate goal is to come together in unity, one way to experience that is truly, truly to step into our own power, light, and purpose and accept ourselves for who we are as highly sensitive people. I wouldn't want to trade being wired this way for anything, and it took me decades to accept that. So I think that what you're sharing and sharing your light, and the fact that when you said you're a chameleon, that you have you 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 know like-minded people, but you also are able to uh, connect with so many different types of people. I think that's what we all want. We all want to be able to see that light in each other and relate to it not based on, on demographic, not based on like-mindedness, but more as, as human souls on the planet together.
0: Beautifully said, Denise. I love that. And welcome to our community, Christopher. Don't you feel that we all have experienced that, that moment where we're like, oh, I've made such progress. Look at me. And then something happens and you're like, oh, nope, I'm back at the starting point. It's like shoots and ladders. Remember playing that game? And yes. you'd get almost to the top and then you'd slide all the way back down. I think that's part of the human experience. But what I have found is even in those shoots experience of the latter game of life, when I do get back to that starting point, I'm different and I am stronger. And I'm sure Christopher is too. And so I just hope he doesn't judge himself for those, those moments where we feel as though life is one step forward, two steps back. Because every time we are given a challenge and it feels like we're back at zero, we're given that challenge with new tools we've learned in the interceding moments.
1: Another good point that he brought up was being a loner. And I found during this, this COVID, during this switch, during this transition that we're all in, a lot of us are because of necessity or because it's just the way things are right now, but needing more of that time alone to recharge. And maybe that's been a blessing in all of this is it's normalized our need for singularity while we're trying to connect with other people.
0: That's a gift of this pandemic year. Is I've learned that I am a loner and I love people. I'm an ambivert and it's okay to relish in your solitude. And I think that's something all empaths need to, need to know. I know in my family of origin, being an introvert or a loner was really looked down on, you know, I don't think, I don't think you dealt with that so much in your family. I feel like, I feel like your dad always supported that in you. Uh,
1: But, but I was the one that was wired differently. Yeah, Like if you met my sister and brother, you would be like, wow, where the hell did she come from?
0: Well, I think that's something. <laughs> yeah, my sisters have actually asked that of me. <laughs> I think that that's something all empaths have in common. We feel like we're the different one in the family. Right. And learning to see that as a strength is such a gift. Okay. Our last one says, hi, Samantha and Denise. Listening now to the November Connections and wanted to share a story that resembles almost exactly what happened to another listener. Three years ago, I was walking down the street where I lived at the time to my yoga studio and a man passed by me. I could tell his eyes stayed on me for a second so my impulse was to walk faster and avoid eye contact. I got to the yoga class and went through the flow. This was during a time in my life where I had two energy vampires who were very close to me constantly draining every last ounce of my energy. I left the class feeling a little bit lighter, but still pretty low. As I was walking back to the house I was renting, I passed by the man again. It seemed like he came out of nowhere. And he said, excuse me, miss, I feel like you need this. He handed me a stone. I looked at it and said instinctively, oh my God, you're right, I do. And he said, do you know what it is? I said, yes, thank you so much. And he smiled and we both continued walking in opposite directions. The truth is, I didn't know what the stone was. But I knew I needed it. I looked it up and it was Jasper. I'm sure you know Jasper provides protection and absorbs negative energy. It then got me thinking, hmm, he knew I needed protection. So I started to investigate my life and think, who do I need protection from? I then identified those two people and realized that ever since they entered my life, I became so tired and sad. So I cut ties with them energetically and physically. I eventually went no contact with both of them and left that little town I'd lived in and moved on to a better career, a gorgeous apartment, a lovely boyfriend, and I live by the ocean, which restores my soul daily. I believe very deeply that if I didn't cut cords with those two people, I'd still be stuck in that town, tired, isolated, too drained to focus on myself and what I wanted for the future. Three things I want to add. I walk to and from that yoga studio every day for a year and had never seen that man and never saw him again after that encounter. Second, as soon as I decided to move, the yoga studio shut down and moved to another location. I'm so thankful for that year in my life and for the divine messages that pushed me to look inside and figure out what I desired. The third thing is that the room I had been renting was in a house that had to be over a hundred years old. My room was actually like an attic. One night, my sister was sleeping over, and as she was falling asleep on my floor next to my bed, she said, The people here are so glad you're here. They really like you. She has no memory of saying this, and she's very psychic. During my time in that room, I couldn't even figure out if I was scared or not. I actually really truly don't think I was scared because the energy in the room was peaceful and psychic. It's where I learned about my powers as an empath. It's where I had such highly psychic dreams and received many messages. One morning, I woke up and couldn't fall back to sleep. I felt this nagging thought to go make an Excel document and chart how much I'm making compared to how much I'm working. And I was like, no, I want to go back to sleep. But I felt a powerful voice say, we're not letting you go back to sleep. This is too important. So I got up, went downstairs to where my computer was and made the chart. My jaw dropped. I was so being taken advantage of by my workplace. And I didn't have health insurance from them and barely made enough to feed myself. P.S. No worries. Only three years later, I'm now a college professor with amazing health benefits. Another thing I felt that upstairs room gave me was my fire back. I kept feeling like such a, I kept feeling like I had lost my fire and was being taught how to get it back. The point is such wonderful and perfect and beautiful things can happen when you're open to receiving messages and receiving help from the other side. I remember constantly saying out loud, I need help. Please, please, please help me. So I just want to share that because I felt so excited when I heard that similar story of a man who was maybe an angel handing another listener a stone she needed. And then, Samantha, you started talking about us needing to take the initiative step of asking for help. I'm so thankful for the two of you on this beautiful Thanksgiving morning. The year I spent in that room is also when I found your podcast, Sending Love, Kristen. Wow. Isn't that an amazing series of events, Denise?
1: Oh, I love that. I I absolutely love it.
0: I think it's great. I mean, she had so many synchronicities, you know, finding the man and finding the crystal. And But, you know, the universe, our guides, our angels, they can only take us so far. We have to do the real work. And she did that. You know, she could have just taken that stone and been like, huh, and kept it in her rock as like a lucky stone. Mm-hmm. But she didn't do that. She took that and said, I know this is a message. And look at the profound changes she made in her life extricating herself from energy vampires, getting herself out of a town and a job where she felt stuck and undervalued and unappreciated. And look where she is now because she took those action steps. So this is just a great story and a wonderful example of how when we ask for help and then take action on the help we're given, miracles occur. Thank you guys so much for sending in these wonderful stories and questions. Don't forget, if you'd like to share our on our next Community Connection show in January, the new year. I can't believe it. You can can always email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can message us on Facebook, where you can find us at Enlightened Empaths. We hope you guys have a beautiful, happy, miraculous week. Don't forget, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.